Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners and watchers. Welcome to Passion Harvest. I'm Louisa, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us wherever you are in the world. Right now, we have an exciting guest today. His name is Rob or Robert Schwartz. Robert Schwartz has devoted his life to exploring our pre-birth plans and life between lives. Robert is the author of three books, Your Soul's Plan, Your Soul's Gift, and Your Soul's Love, Discovering the Real Meaning of Life You Planned Before You Were Born. Robert believes that we are all eternal souls who plan our lives, including our greatest challenges before we're born for the purposes of our spiritual growth. This is his story and this is his passion. Robert Schwartz, welcome to Passion Harvest. I've been waiting a long time for this interview and I am so excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, I've got so many questions for you. And I, as I said before, I've been waiting for this interview for a long time and I'm so excited to speak to you. I'd like to find out more for the audience. What, what are our pre-birth plans and why do we plan events before our birth? Uh, my understanding is that the pre-birth plan is created by a person's soul in consultation with spirit guides, uh, ascended masters or other highly evolved beings and God or source or whatever term you would like to use. And then, uh, as I understand it, the soul creates the personality, which is a portion of the soul's energy that will go into a physical body. And having been created, the personality is then informed of what the pre-birth plan is. At that point, the vast majority of people say, yes, I'm on board with that and then they incarnate. But there's a very small percentage who start to experience human emotions like fear or doubt. If you express fear or doubt that the plan might be a little bit too much, then you are assured by your soul and by your guides that this plan is for your highest good and that you can do it. At that point, the vast majority of people who expressed fear or doubt will then say, okay, I'm on board with this. And the reason they do that is that they sense this overwhelming wisdom and unconditional love emanating from their soul and from their guides. So they trust them. But there's a very small percentage of the small percentage who expressed fear or doubt who continue to express fear or doubt. And if you do that, then the plan is amended until it's acceptable to you. Now, as to the question of why is the soul doing this at all, we could talk for several hours about that, and there are a number of different reasons. But basically, what is happening is that the soul is purifying or clarifying itself. So some people have this concept of the soul as this um, pure, uh, pure love, pure light. Mm -hmm. The soul is actually, as I understand it, a combination of light and dark, but it wants very much to purify or clarify and become more light. So by incarnating on earth, the personality learns certain things. And 
more importantly, develops a greater capacity to give and receive love. That's really what it's all about. And then through the personality's experiences of doing this, the soul purifies or clarifies and moves from a combination of light and dark toward greater light. Wow. Okay. I 100% agree with everything you said. I just have to ask you, how do you know all this? What I just shared with you comes primarily from several channeling sessions with Jesus. Uh, one of my wow. colleagues who, who contributes to the books, a woman in the Netherlands named Pamela Crabay, she channels Jesus among other beings. And through her, I've spoken with him at length about this. Uh, the part that I just shared with you is actually at the beginning of my second book, Your Soul's Gift, for those who would like to read about it in more detail. So what was it like channeling, having conversations with Jesus? And who do you think Jesus is? You know, he describes himself as an older brother. And that's really how I came to feel about him. Uh, you might say that he's a much, much older and much, much wiser brother. Uh, but he emphasizes again and again that when he was incarnate as Jesus, he was a human just as we were. And he felt human emotions like fear or anger from time to time. I think they, those kinds of emotions were much less prominent in his life than they are for most of us. Uh, but he's, he's a being who is just overflowing with unconditional love and uh, wisdom. And I came to trust him completely. For me, it was a particularly interesting experience because I was raised in a reform Jewish household. We were not particularly religious, but we did call ourselves Jewish. And I came to think of myself as Jewish. And so the, at first, the idea that I was speaking to Jesus was really mind boggling to me. Uh, but I quickly developed this tr complete trust in him and it became very comfortable. I'm sure you get this question all the time, but why do many people ask me as well, why do we, would we want to come here to suffer? And I, you've kind of already answered this, but I'd like you to explain that a little bit more, if you don't mind, for the audience. Yeah, not at all. I mean, that, that was essentially the driving force behind me wanting to do this work. I had the same question. Uh, we don't come here because we want to suffer. Uh, that would not be a correct statement. We come here to expand our ability to give and receive love and to learn various other lessons. And we're willing to deal with any suffering that comes up in order to do that. Uh, what I came to understand is that our perspective on the other side, when we're being told what the life plan will be, is very different than our perspective once we're here in body. One of the main differences is that from the non-physical vantage point, you are acutely aware that incarnation is actually very brief. It's here and it's gone like a clap of thunder. You might or might not have that perspective when you're in body, but you do have that perspective on the other side. Another key difference in perspective is that from the non-physical vantage point, you know that nobody is permanently harmed by anything that happens here. Again, you might or might not know that when you're in body, but you do know that when you're back on the other side. And then the third key difference in perspective is that from the non-physical vantage point, you are very much aware that all the growth, learning, wisdom, expanded ability to give and receive love that come out of an incarnation become part of you and your soul literally for all eternity. Again, you might or might not know that when you're in body. So from that perspective, that a lifetime is actually very brief, nobody is permanently harmed by anything that happens here, 
And yet the wisdom and ability to love become part of you for literally all eternity. From that perspective, it actually does make sense that some souls, not all, but some, would be willing to endure a lot of suffering in order to move through an incarnation. And is it, is, is it like a cycle that is there an end point? Or can we regress? And you mentioned good and evil. And for silly terms, but if we're a bad person in our life, do we regress and then we take steps forward and steps back? And is there an end point to our humanness? Well, it is possible to regress, uh, and that does happen, but your soul would not have any judgment of you if that happened in a particular lifetime. The soul would have a feeling of incompletion. Uh, it views everything that happens with neutrality, so there's no judgment, but it would feel that the lessons had not been completed and would want to continue them in at least one more incarnation, if not a number of incarnations. Um, the end point is pretty much determined by you. You get to set the curriculum for yourself. Nobody is telling you you have to do this or you have to learn that. You just innately have a desire to grow in your ability to give and receive love uh, and in its many different forms, which would be things like empathy, patience, compassion, uh, and so on. What I saw when I researched people's pre-birth plans for the three books is that a lot of the conversation in the pre-birth planning session revolved around a soul-level desire to cultivate and then express, while in body, certain qualities that are very important to the soul. And I gave these qualities the name Divine Virtues. Uh, over a period of years, I put together a list of the ones that came up the most often. I think there are now 28 on the list. And again, it's things like empathy, patience, compassion, unconditional love, self-love, acceptance, faith, trust. The average person, as I understand it, focuses on two or three of the virtues in a lifetime. Occasionally, somebody is working on four or five. Nobody, as far as I know, is working on more than five. It's too much for anybody to do. And so from the pre-birth planning perspective, the challenges that are planned for the lifetime are seen as providing both the opportunity and the motivation to cultivate the virtues. So let's take a, a common example. Let's say that you want to deepen in compassion before you incarnate. What you might very well do, and what a lot of people have done, is plan to incarnate in a nuclear family where you will be treated with a profound lack of compassion. The absence of compassion in the external environment is intended to drive you within, where hopefully you will cultivate self-compassion. And then having done that some years later, you take the compassion you've cultivated for self, and turn it outward in service to others. This is what I call a learning through opposites life plan. It's a very common kind of plan. You plan to experience the exact opposite of where you eventually want to end up because doing so gives you the opportunity and the motivation to get there. It's absolutely fascinating. And what happens when, I'm not even going to say the word die, when, when our physical body dies, what, what happens in that transitionary period? Well, uh, a common experience is to move through the tunnel of light and then into the light. And then what happens from that point depends on your state of consciousness uh, in which you died. Um, a lot of people have experienced trauma in one form or another during their incarnation. And there are, for lack of a better term, hospitals, although not in the sense we think of them, but healing and recovery centers on the other side. 
And if you experienced a lot of trauma and didn't heal it while you were incarnate, you would go to one of these hospitals or healing centers and receive a lot of tender loving care until you were able to heal the trauma. If you're not processing trauma, uh, and if your vibration is fairly high, you may simply be greeted by quote unquote deceased loved ones, uh, other members of your soul group. There's this very joyful reunion. Then you have a life review where you are shown all the significant things that happened in the life. And you actually feel the feelings that you caused other people to feel. It's a very powerful learning tool. And then based upon the life review, you decide I'm complete with incarnations on earth or I'm not. I feel there's more to do there. If you feel there's more to do, you start planning another lifetime. And if you don't feel there's more to do, what happens then? Well, then you decide what the next step is for you. Uh, if you're complete with the earth experience, you might feel in general that you're complete with the third dimensional experience. And if that's the case, you move on to a so-called higher dimension. I don't know exactly what happens in these so-called higher dimensions. That's not the focus of my research at all, but there are many of them and you would move into the next one. Interesting. And people, talk, do, uh, people call it soul family or soul groups. Do we reincarnate with the same soul family or soul groups time and time again? We do. Uh, there are some changes as we go along. So some members of your soul group may move out and into another group. Some that were in another group may move into your soul group. So there is some turnover in that sense. But for the most part, you are reincarnating again and again with the members of your soul group. Uh, doing so creates a lot of love and comfort with those other souls. And so when another incarnation is discussed, your natural inclination would be to want to involve those other souls because you trust them, you know them well, you love them and they love you. You know, if you think about it, if you're going to have somebody play a quote unquote negative role in an upcoming lifetime, who would the soul want to play that role? A soul that you have a lot of trust and love and comfort with or a soul you've never worked with before? Well, you would choose the former and that's what we do. You're just answering all my questions. Why, why do we, I think I know the answer. Why do we so often forget who we are, where we've come from? The suffering, why, why do we forget this? What, or the veil, people often call it the veil. I think there are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is by forgetting who you really are and where you came from and what life is like on the other side and creating this illusion that earth is all that exists. That illusion has the effect of making everything that happens here seem very important and very serious. And because it all seems so important and serious, the emotions that are generated by the things that happen in your lifetime are very intense. In other words, if you remembered everything about who you are, where you come from, what life on the other side is like, then you would be acutely aware of the fact that life on earth is nothing more than a play on a stage. And that awareness would diffuse the intensity of the emotions that come up here. Well, a lot of the growth and learning comes from the experience of intense emotion and in particular, learning how to work skillfully with your own intense emotions. So you don't want to deprive yourself of that kind of learning. That's where that's a very fertile ground for growth. Is it your belief that we can create our reality through our consciousness, through our thoughts and beliefs and emotions? 
It's my belief that we can do that within the framework that has been established mm -hmm. by the pre-birth plan. So you can't do something that is outside the scope of the plan, but within the confines of the plan, you have total free will to create whatever you would like. Uh, most things that are planned prior to birth are set up as potentials, probabilities, high probabilities, and occasionally probabilities so high as to be almost certain. There are only a small number of things that are actual certainties. For example, your choice of parents. Once you're born, obviously you can't change that. They are who they are. Or if you plan to be born with a physical handicap that can't be treated by medical science in that time period in which you're incarnating, which is something you would know before coming into body, then short of what we call a miracle, you will have that physical handicap for the duration of that lifetime. But these kinds of things that are set in stone are actually very small in number. Most things, again, are set up as potentials. And whether or not a potential actualizes depends upon your free will decisions. That takes me on the question to the concept of time and has everything already happened? As I understand it, all of the incarnations that the soul has are happening concurrently in the now moment. This is a tremendously difficult concept for the human brain to understand because the brain is set up to process linear time. Mm -hmm. The way I conceptualize it, if you think of a CD that has, let's say, seven songs on it, while you're in body, because of the limitations of the five senses, you can only listen to one song at a time. Now, if every song represents a lifetime, your soul would be, quote unquote, listening to all seven songs, experiencing all seven lifetimes concurrently. It has no limitations imposed by physical senses. So has everything happened that is going to happen? Well, it's happening right now in the now moment. That's, that's as much as I can tell you about that. Such a hard concept. So there's, there is only now or the infinite now so i'm just giving myself as an example all all my my lives my lifetimes are happening right now but i identify i'm identifying now as in this present well like as louisa is that is that correct that's my understanding and also there are parallel yous in parallel dimensions and what they do affects you and what you do affects them uh, for example in my second book, Your Soul's Gift, there's a chapter about the pre-birth planning of mental illness. And the story there is about a woman who experiences a very extreme form of psychosis. And in a channeling session with Jesus, I ask him, what is going on here? And he says there are several parallel selves uh, equal to her in parallel dimensions, and that she is processing unhealed energies that they have on their behalf. And the process of doing this is creating this extreme form of psychosis, but she's actually in service to these parallel selves. It's a, I feel that's correct as well. It's such a hard concept to grasp for me. I mean, gosh, for many people, but I'm, I'm, I was, uh, someone explained to me that what, of course the main highways or the major life decisions are planned out. But if I, make a decision to divorce or get married, then a portion of Louisa or a self of Louisa moves off into a parallel life as Louisa. 
there could be uh, there's unlimited possibilities of Louisa, but then there's also my many other lives. That's how I understand it. Then that's exactly my understanding as well. And as you say, very difficult to wrap a human brain around that kind of thing. Aside from your incredible channeling of Jesus, but how do you speak to the soul? Which I, how do you do that? And well, I, I should explain that you know in the books the ways that I research people's pre-birth plans, sessions with mediums and channels, but they have very different sorts of gifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the new book, uh, the kind of hypnosis I practice, which is called a between-life soul regression. In that kind of hypnosis, the client speaks directly with non-physical beings to retrieve information about their life plan. Now, one of the mediums who is featured in my first two books, Corby Mitleide, uh, she has this particular gift of being able to channel a person's soul, a person's higher self. So if I feel for whatever reason that we can find out best about the person's pre-birth plan by talking to their soul, I'll ask her to work with us. I'll speak to the person's soul directly. The first question I always ask is, did you plan this particular challenge? And if so, why? And then all the discussion flows from that. But talking to a person's higher self, at least through Corby, is actually not all that different than talking to somebody who's in body. It's just sort of a normal conversation. uh, Fascinating, and it must be a relief in some way to, for a person to understand their, their soul's purpose or why are they here? Well, the, the main thing, the main benefit to doing this kind of work is that when you understand that you are the courageous soul who planned your biggest challenges, that knowledge alone, even if you don't know why you planned them, that knowledge alone will pull you out of victim consciousness. Mm. And that's very important because victim consciousness, as I understand it, is literally the lowest vibration or frequency a human being can be at. And it tends to be self-perpetuating because when you believe that you are a victim, you vibrate at the frequency of victim. When you vibrate at the frequency of victim, you are energetically stating to the universe that you are a victim. Well, whatever energetic statement you make to the universe, it always responds in exactly the same way. It always says, yes, that's right, you are. So if you state energetically to the universe that you're a victim, it says, yes, you are a victim. And then it brings you more experiences that seem on the surface to confirm to you that you are, in fact, a victim. The way to break out of that negative self-perpetuating cycle is simply to come into the awareness that you are the courageous soul who planned the challenges. Now, if you then come into some understanding of why you planned the challenges, that's actually even better because then you can go about learning those underlying lessons in a much more conscious and much less painful manner. Just as you said that, I I just have to say, when I went out of the victim mode, it literally changed my life when I realized I wasn't a victim and I decided to take charge of my life. But it's so easy in our human form. Things are very, you could consider your life, circumstances, situation, events, very unfair and it has happened to you. So it's a great challenge to get out of that victim mode. It's, it's very, very hard. for well, it was for me and many people. It is very hard to get out of. And, and even for me, knowing everything I know from the research I've done, 
there are still times when things happen that I feel victimized, but I can get myself out of that place faster and easier than ever before. Sort of segues into my next question. How do we find more joy and happiness in our life? Well, I think finding out some of the details of your pre-birth plan can help with that. Uh, In regard to challenges, it will help you to see the deeper meaning and purpose of the challenge. And then there's less suffering and sometimes uh, joy in going through the challenge because it has meaning. You know why you're going through it. You understand the bigger picture and the bigger purpose that is being served. Uh, And then, you know, in the form of hypnosis, I practice the between life soul regression. Uh, What happens there ultimately in those sessions is that people talk to a group of very wise, loving, and highly evolved beings known as the Council of Elders. These are the beings who oversee the cycle of reincarnation on earth, and they know literally everything about you, everything about the current plan for the current life, and everything about every so-called past life. So if you get in front of the Council, you can ask them, how do I create more joy for myself? And they would be able to give you a very individualized recommendation as to how you can do that consistent with the intentions in your pre-birth plan. I have heard of them before. Absolutely fascinating. I just wanted to touch on, and you spoke about before, spirit guides. Um, Do you mind just explaining a little bit more about the spirit guides? A guide, as I understand it, is a highly evolved non-physical being with whom we plan our lives before we come into body and who then guides us through our lives after we get here. So your guides know uh, all the features of your life plan. They know what the big challenges are and when they are scheduled to happen. Uh, They know what your pre-birth intentions are. And so they're there all the time, uh, quote unquote, whispering into your ear, so to speak, saying, yes, go this way or no, don't go that way. Try this, move away from that. Uh, And what they're trying to do is keep you on the highest vibrational path that you can be on. So, you know, it's not correct to say that there's only a plan A for a person's life. There is a plan A, but there's also a plan B, C, D, E, F, and on and on. on. So if A is the highest vibrational plan, then it's the plan that has the most joy and the least suffering. B would be second in that regard, C would be third, and so on. So your guides will whisper in your ear things that you can do and also not do to keep your vibration as high as possible. The higher your vibration, the less suffering and the more joy. Very interesting. And Rob, what's your thought on angels? Uh, My understanding is that angels exist. Uh, I think that these sort of classifications we have that, you know, one being is an angel and another Mm -hmm. is an ascended master uh, and so on. I I think that those categories are not actually as well defined as we think they are. The human brain can't really understand what an angel is or what an ascended master is. It's outside the framework of information that comes in through the five senses. So we've created these categories to give us a, a working knowledge of what what is out there in the universe, but I don't think it's as cut and dry as most of us believe it Mm -hmm. to me. I'm just compelled to ask you this question again. I know we've already talked about it, but I just feel that we, we need to, I'd like to clarify it again, good and evil, such terrible things happen to bad people and good people. 
why does someone choose such horrific circumstances to occur to them? I know you've answered the question, but I just feel to clarify it again. Well, you know, I, I asked Jesus in one of the channeling sessions specifically about the concept of evil. And I, I remember I said to him, uh, I don't believe in the concept of evil, because if you tell me that somebody is evil, to me, that means that their nature is evil. And if their nature is evil, it means that it can't be changed. They are just evil beings. And I said, if that's the definition of evil, then I don't believe it, that that exists. Because to me, the people who are doing things that we call evil, they're just in a lot of pain and the pain is driving them to commit what we call evil actions. And he said, yes, that, that's essentially correct. So my understanding is that evil as a, a distinct thing that exists in the universe uh, there is no such thing. There are a lot of beings who are in a lot of pain, and the pain is driving them to act out in ways that we call evil. But those beings still have the spark of the divine within them. It's just become very small, and they're not actually aware of it. But eventually, through many incarnations, they will reawaken to the divine spark within, which is love by its very nature. And once that reawakening occurs, then they've got a long path ahead of them, but they will move away from committing evil acts and toward uh, doing loving things. What's your concept of God or is a creator or source? My concept of God or source is uh, all that is. And that, that was a term that was used by many, many non-physical beings in the channelings we did for the three books. They kept referring to all that is. And I think that that is probably the, the best term as far as I understand it. God or source is the energy that is in everything, both animate and inanimate. And as I understand it, and this is what A Course in Miracles teaches, uh, all of us, everything that exists is actually an idea in the mind of God and is being sustained by the mind of God. So that, that's my concept. Rob, I've asked you so many questions and you've answered them so well. Thank you so much. What would you like to share with the Passion Harvest audience? Well, the, the take-home message that I would like people to have is, uh, as I understand it, and this is what I've been told in the channeling sessions, mm -hmm. you know, the earth is going through an ascension process, moving from the third dimension through the fourth and then into the fifth. So a big increase in frequency or vibration. Uh, as I understand it, and what I was told in the channeling sessions, is that there were three times as many souls as available bodies. Because of the ascension, so many souls wanted to be here. So you had to make a one in three cut in order to be in a body during the ascension. And the way that decision was made is that you had to have something to offer the ascension process. So, you know, our world is filled with people who feel small, powerless, weak, helpless, insignificant. Nothing could be further from the truth. You made a one in three cut to be here and you made it because you have something to offer the ascension process. Great message. I'm going basic here for those that are not aware of it. What, what, is, the, what is ascension? What is the ascension process? Ascension again is the, the process by which uh, Gaia, Mother Earth, and everything that's in and on and around the earth is moving up dramatically in vibration or frequency. So when this incarnation started for all of those who are listening to this conversation, uh, Gaia was squarely in the third dimension. 
My understanding now is that we're actually in the fourth dimension and there's a lot of light flooding the planet. The light has the effect of bringing up all the darkness, which is why it seems on the surface that things are actually getting worse. But that's a transitional state, as I understand it. Everything that is not love now has to come up and be processed through people's conscious awareness in order to be healed and released. That will take some period of years, however long it takes, but it will eventually happen. And then the planet and everybody on it will move into the fifth dimension, which as I understand it, is a dimension of unconditional love. So in that dimension, life on earth will be very, very different than it has been for a very long time. Fascinating. And that, that could take several lifetimes or many, many lifetimes or is in this I, lifetime. I, I don't, I don't think we, we know. And the reason we don't know is that it depends on everybody's free will decisions. Mm -hmm. So if you use your free will to align with God's uh, intention for you, and God's intention for everybody is to give and receive love as freely as they possibly can. If you use your free will to align with that intention, and everybody does that, we can get there pretty quickly. Uh, but the most likely scenario is that not everybody is going to do that. And some people will probably be resistant to it and it will take however long it takes. And I, I don't think I can tell you how long that will be. Well, it's, it's a beautiful, it's, you know, it's a beautiful thought anyway. I certainly wish for that as well. Um, I don't have any more questions for you, Rob. You've answered them so sharply and accurately. Um, it's really been such a delight to speak to you. And I thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest and sharing with the audience. Maybe my last question is how can we bring more love into our life and to the world for our own ascension and for that of the world, I guess? I think it's through intention. Intention is very, very powerful. Every morning when you get up, set your intention for the day. And it might be to give and receive love as freely as you possibly can. Uh, it could be variations on that. It could be to be as compassionate as you can be, as kind as you can be, uh, as empathetic as you can be, whatever it is that you feel called to focus on. But just by having a very conscious intention and then asking spirit for assistance, please help me to give and receive love as freely as I can. Please help me to be as compassionate or as kind as I can be. Uh, when you ask, you enlist a lot of non-physical support. And it's very important to ask because your non-physical team won't interfere with your free will. So you really have to ask for assistance if you want it. Well, I can't just say that's such a beautiful way to end the show, Rob. Thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. And what a great message to share with the Passion Harvest audience. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. And I, it's always a lot of fun to discuss these things. Yeah, it's great. Thank you so much, Rob Schwartz. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you liked this episode, please do subscribe for weekly passionate inspirational interviews. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.